before you hear Audi Toast, you will be wondering if you were the one who betrayed Jesus. No, 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 you won't. But we are going to be talking about the story of Judas. We're going to be going over pride and how pride prevents us from confronting our true weaknesses. Welcome to Walk With Him. I am Elder Blacker, and we're here welcoming everybody who's looking to improve their lives by improving their relationship with Jesus Christ. My name is Mitchell Redmond, and here we're going to be discussing a variety of topics and doctrine relating to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our mission is to help guide you towards making the best decisions from the example of Jesus Christ. Our lives will never be perfect, but our Savior is. So hopefully you'll join us as we walk with Him. I've actually been really excited for this for a while because I read this talk like two weeks ago or three. Did you send it to me three weeks ago or two weeks ago? I think I did because I read it. I read it. I'm like, this is really good. And so I instantly send it to you. Yeah, because you did. You sent it before you left. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I couldn't believe you were gone for two weeks. I wasn't. I was gone for like a week and a half. Oh. It wasn't that long. Okay, my mom said it had been two weeks, and I was like, what? I thought it was only like a one week. Yeah. Okay, well, okay. Well, because I like this. I feel a little bit vindicated. Yeah. Anyway, that's. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it might have been two weeks when she said that. But, but yeah, the but talk is um, 2014, to- tw- October. So for context, and hopefully we already have an episode about General Conference of Wana, but this is a topic from a living prophet by the name of Dieter F. Uchtdorf in October 2014. So it's a session where it happens twice a year and all the prophets and authorities in our church do a worldwide broadcast about a variety of different doctrine and topics related to what is happening in the world. Yay. So I like this. So this one's called Lord, Is It I? What were your thoughts about listening to this topic? Um, have you been watching The Chosen? Yes, I finished season one. I just watch an episode every Sunday. And that's been started since I got home. Oh, cool. So probably episode five or something. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Last time I legitimately just fell asleep through the whole thing. <laughs> um, it's been really interesting to me to see that um, and how, like, they have their own personalities. The apostles do, right? Yeah. As in, like, portrayed? It, like, Is that yeah. what you mean? Because you don't get any... I mean, you get some, but it's not, like, a novel where it's, like, you get a... Kind of like a day by day. Yeah, but it's still interesting because it's, it's, at least when I would read the New Testament, right? I just kind of lumped all the apostles into the same um, personality, right? As in, like it would be Jesus and then the, the apostles. Yeah. So and then yeah. Peter had a little bit of his own yeah. personality, like chopping off a guy's ear, or like <laughs> just diving into the sea, right, to go see yeah. Christ when he resurrects. The thing that I like about Peter is that, at least in the scriptures, because again, I'm not very far into The Chosen, like probably episode six was the last one I watched. So I guess seven was the one that I slept through. But (laughs) um, he seems to make Christ his best friend. And I like that. But um, because like the first time when Simon sees him, he's like, I am a sinful man. Depart from me. Remember that? Is that in The Chosen? Yeah. Well, it's like the first, when he was 
Christ was near the boat and he's like, cast the net over. And then Peter's like, okay, sure. Oh, yeah. And then he does it and then he realizes, oh, this is the Messiah. And then he's My like, brother oh. brother was right. Yeah. And so he's like, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. But I don't know. I think it's just cool that the apostles asked that question in the first place. Because as the title suggests, is it I? It kind of goes into how when Jesus was like, hey, guess what? One of you guys will betray me. They asked him, is it I? Yeah. As opposed to like, hey, is it Peter? I knew it was Andrew. (laughs) Like, and I think that's actually a pretty remarkable thing. Yeah. If someone made an accusation, my first reaction would not be, well, am I going to? Well, this was talking about future yeah, events. especially for something like as big as, like... He will betray... Betraying the yeah. Savior. It's kind of like, I, I don't know, it seems like they would know. And I'm sure they did. And that's the other part that's amazing about it, is it's like... But when... It would be like if somebody said to like our group of friends and was like, one of you will commit murder. And then for your first reaction to be like, is it me? It's yeah. interesting because... No, not a lot of people will have that reaction. Right. Because instinctively, in theory, you would know, oh, hey, I'm not a person that would commit murder. Mm. Right. And so it's interesting that that's still what their reaction was, despite like the question seemingly being obvious of whether or not that's something you would do. Yeah. Especially because, well, I don't even know. Did Jesus say tonight one of you guys will betray me? Did he put a time frame on it? I think so. Because that's even more interesting. Because it's not like, hey, in five years, one of you will betray me. Like, where it's like, okay, I can see how maybe my heart would change over these five years. Just like, the amount of circumstances that like kind of make it obvious to us that if they were in that position, it would not be them. And that's still their initial reaction is, is it I? I don't understand exactly what happened is what I'm trying to say. Because based off what I read in the scriptures, it's like there's a disconnect here, right? Mm -hmm. Because Judas ends up asking Jesus, like, Lord, is it I? Well, yeah, he's got a blend. And Christ says, thou hast said. Wait. Oh, no, you're right. Well, Wait a minute. what's really interesting to me is like, I don't see a reason why Judas would ask Jesus Christ that question unless it was to try to f- blend in. Uh-huh. And so then if Christ is basically like, yeah, it's you. <laughs> and then for the apostles just to be like, oh, cool, cool. Anyway, supper. <laughs> like, there's a disconnect from what I read to like what actually happened. Because surely Peter wouldn't just be like, yeah, cool. This guy is trying to take him, chop off his ear. But Judas, eh. <laughs> well, I'll just let him run and go tell the Romans where Christ is. Because I remember that story where it's like, thou hast said it. The, the tricky part is when there's four gospels, these are four different perspectives, right? Right. And so these are four different ways that they've remembered it and you got to understand that the bible is not also completely perfect 
as in yeah. translation. Yeah. There are a hundred different translations of the Bible, probably more. I have no idea. But what's really interesting, I took a class about, it was called The Living Christ at BYU. And he went through like, like the original Greek. And he was like going through all the, kind of answering questions that a lot of scholars had by just kind of going back, comparing with the other. It was a really interesting class. But anyway, it's like, I'm trying to find the story. It's really quickly. Did you have a lot of people that were like, the Bible is perfect to you? Yes. I had a comp that would bash. He didn't really bash with me, but he was saying there was one person where they were like, the Bible is perfect, right? And they're like, and he brought up something in his scriptures and he was like, this, this kind of contradicts, right? Mm-hmm. So clearly it's not perfect. And they're like, that's not what it says in our scriptures. And he's like, oh, <laughs> so are some versions of the Bible more perfect than others? It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of funny. And that's the thing with, it's oh pointless gosh. to argue about religion. Yeah, I learned a lot of funky stuff about the Bible from him actually. Really? Yeah, like based on um, when this book was written with the creation of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, they would have thought at the time, of course, this is most likely just based off historical evidence shows that people in this time, this was like, this is what they believed, right? Yeah. Society believed this, that the earth was flat, mm-hmm. the sky was a dome, and the mountains held this flat earth to the sky. That's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Anyway, there's just a lot of funky stuff where it's like, yeah. huh. That's why they, well, okay That's then. why it's like the four corners of the earth because that's what they were literally thinking. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a square white or a rectangle. Whatever they thought. Trapezoid. Trapezoid. <laughs> and it's still four corners. No, I'm not going to waste too much time looking for it. But the story, and I, I know which part you're talking about. It was like, thou hast said it. It's just thou hast said. Thou hast said, yeah. yeah I'll find it but right. that's, um. so I think it was Peter that was like, kind of leaned over to Jesus because he was like right next to him. And he's like, who will it be? And Jesus like, him who I will give this piece of bread. Really? I don't uh-huh. remember this story. I'm try- I looked in all four gospels and I can't find it, but I'm sure I'll link it somewhere. But then he dips it because like nobody else was paying attention when... Peter asks this question, and then he gives it to Judas. But what's interesting is that doing that as the the quote-unquote master of the table, which obviously he was, that's like a symbol of friendship, giving someone your unleavened bread. That's like a traditional, hey, you're my pal, take bread. And so it was interesting... Well, that's what it is. I know, I just, I thought that was kind of funny. And so, like, he gave it to him... But Judas knew that he knew because, I mean, he's been with him long enough to know that this is the Savior and he can't really pull the wool over his eyes. And so that's why Judas got up and left. But what's interesting is that nobody else really paid attention to that exchange because he's the money keeper, right? He's in charge of the, did you know that? Judas? Yeah. Huh, I didn't. Why so, wouldn't Matthew be the money keeper? I don't know. Huh, but Judas Judas was in charge of the money, so they would look to him for finances. And so he got up and left right after that. And everyone's like, oh, he probably went to go buy something or go do some errand. Hmm. So really... What do you mean? That kind of 
connected. Yes, but really nobody was per- because again, like you said, they were not looking at each other. Yeah, and being like, "Oh, I bet it was so and so," you know. Huh. That's actually really so. That's that, well, that would kind of that that's the actual sense, story. I'm trying to find it. I'll link it later because I'm sure Bible scholars are nodding their heads. Hopefully, <laughs> but um. Oh, here it is in Matthew 26. I was in that chapter. Whatever. Yeah. Really quickly, this is just Matthew 26, starting at verse 19. Mm-hmm. And the disciples did as Jesus had anointed, appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. Now when the even was come, he sat down with the twelve. And as they did eat, he said, Verily I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And they were exceedingly sorrowful and began, sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said, He that dippeth his hand with me in the dish, the same shall betray me. But he wasn't talking to all of them when he said that. He was only talking to Peter, who was right next to him. Okay. We must find that out in another gospel. Because mm-hmm. um, it doesn't mention that in 26. Yeah. But then it says, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. With an exclamation point, which is rare in yeah. scriptures. It had been good... For that man, if he had not been born, <laughs> Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He said unto him, Thou hast said. I'm trying to think of, I would need to read all of the Gospels to kind of understand how that went. But based on the context that we already have, that's how it kind of went. So mm-hmm. like Jesus and Judas had kind of that secret exchange between secret as in like nobody else was quite paying attention because again right. everyone, everyone was like thinking oh he's going to go buy something right hmm. so that's something interesting about that story that you probably didn't know no i didn't but that brings me to and it's kind of the main point i think that this talk is trying to address is like about pride because it mentions the the scripture about the moat or beam? The moat and the beam. The moat and the beam. I don't know which one they mentioned first because I read it in Spanish. Uh, the beam is in your eye. The moat is in the other person's eye. Okay. I don't know. Because in Spanish, it's like the stick in that guy's eye and the pole in the other. It's not a direct. Stick and pole? It's not a direct translation. So that's why I was trying to. That's I why feel I was like those, uh, those could be very mistaken on size. Where it's like, hmm, I don't know which one's bigger, the stick or the pole. Mm. Yeah. Anyway. But I think you've maybe seen this more purely because of, like, numbers-wise, because you saw more members in the church, and I didn't. But there's a lot of different... Oh, no, I do remember. There was this one story this member told me where she was in a ward that was just, like, the most judgmental ward she had ever entered in, ever. Yeah, because being a new member, she didn't really know about all the doctrine, and yep. they were all kind of picking at her right from the start. Her and her husband, and she's like, "Okay, I don't feel very good here." Yep. And so it got so bad to where she like moved wards, as in she rented an apartment outside of the ward to go be technically counted as this other ward. You can just get permission to attend another ward. The way she explained it, it was like this weird technical thing that they had to... I don't know why she didn't just do it more simply. Maybe that was the only way they could back then. 
but like, and this is a longer story. She was telling us like specific things that happened. Yeah. And me and my comfort just staring at her like, dang. <laughs> like she yep. has been through the fire in this ward. And then my second last comp got transferred to that ward. So I'm like, good luck. <laughs> um, yeah. Being in Utah, I heard a lot of horror stories like that of people who went to a ward and the ward did something and then they would never go back. That happens so much in Mexico. And I actually didn't really see it very much in Layton or Clinton. I was actually very impressed with the other parts. And I had the opposite of like, wow, the ward was perfect in like helping this guy come to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Which you don't really hear those stories. Probably because partially the horror stories are more interesting mm -hmm. but yeah but there was just and i really like the the example in the talk where it's like the dude just rubbed lemon juice on his face it's just like that's a true story by the way i know yeah it's really funny <laughs> and it's just like by hearing this one fact from who knows where he read it or thought of it he's like okay this is now True. He National Treasure. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, cool, I'll just rub this on my face and I'm invisible. <laughs> and I like his first reaction where it's just like, but it, why didn't it not work? He's like, what? But, but I rubbed lemons. Yeah, and it's just like. Also, isn't it weird he didn't figure that out while he was robbing the banks? As in, like, people were looking at him and, like, screaming and possibly pointing at him. And he's like, hi, I'm invisible. Because in order to rob a bank, you have to talk to the bank teller. Yeah. And it didn't tip him off that she wasn't like, huh? Who's talking to me? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, nope. I mean, if you're gullible enough to believe that lemon juice will make you invisible. Anyway. But it's th not I'm just... I'm taking it as down a side road that we don't need to go down. But it's not just like how gullible or how dumb you may be. Right. This is a common occurrence in like life. Like there are, for example, certain news outlet, they're favoring a certain view. And then these people take this view, this specific lens as, oh, this is a reality because X party is doing this and we don't like that or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because they're taking this one view based on their own personal moral beliefs and then they hear something that validates that. And they're just like, cool, so it must be true. Yep. Because there's a lot of people who don't look inwards, basically. It's really hard to admit that you're wrong. Mm -hmm. a good and like, I have thought that I'm okay admitting when I'm wrong. And then like on the most stupid things where it's like, <laughs> man, I should just admit that, yeah, I thought three times three was ten on accident. And then it's like, nope, I for some reason came up with a lie or an excuse or something. <laughs> so I wasn't wrong. And it's like, what? Another thing I've noticed is it's really hard to admit or to give up power. What do you mean? Like As in power in an argument? like uh, Power in any way, shape, or form. Okay. And I noticed this actually talking to a mission president who had come home. And we were at his house and he was trying to make things like it was in 
wherever he served. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But it's like, I don't know. I just realized that like it, people have a really hard time giving up power and they have a really hard time admitting when they're wrong. Yeah. Basically, it's the pride cycle. It all boils down to pride. Mm-hmm. And I find it so remarkable the amount of humility that the apostles had in that moment, which isn't something I'd even considered ever. But the more I think about the mere fact that they asked the question, the amount of humility that would have taken, like, it's kind of crazy, actually. But I guess that's probably just a product of being not just a product, but I think it says something about being around the Savior so much. Uh Uh-huh. That that was their initial reaction. What I notice a lot is how many times humility is mentioned in the scriptures, like a hundred different, not a hundred, but a ton of times. And it's like, there's this one scripture where it's like, translate, please. It's like, Faith, hope, and charity. Moroni 7. Thank you. I've been looking for that all day. <laughs> I literally uh, was welcome. looking for it during the freaking talk. I'm like, where is this? Um, but yeah, that makes sense to me that humility would be mentioned so often. Ezra Taft Benson, um, former prophet. I can't remember if he was prophet when he said this, but basically he was like, pride is the universal sin. Mm-hmm. And it's so true. Because it does not matter if you are 10 or if you're 90. Pride is something that everybody has. And like there's a certain amount of pride where it's like, okay, that's good. Like a self-belief or like a... That's like confidence. taking pride in your work. Yeah. Right? I feel like confident. Well, pride is used in both ways. So yeah, you're right. Yeah, but there's also like the bad kind of pride. Mm-hmm. And everybody has that. You know what's interesting? In Spanish... Pride has two meanings, two different words. The one word being, actually, now I think about it, people, in, well, in Mexico at least, but they used one word for both of them. But then I found out there's another word that existed for the bad kind of pride. And I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting that they have different. Huh. But uh, that reminds me of a quote that I linked. You remember that one talk that, in the most recent general conference, the imperfect harvest. You remember that talk? No, I don't. Okay. The imperfect harvest. By Sean. Please hold, because I'm going to read a quote from it. Okay. Perfect harvest. Very quick side note while you're looking it up. I find it interesting whenever there's like, in another language, there's a word, and it's like there's no translation into this. Uh huh. Like, English just does not have a word for this. It's like, huh? Well, let's get on that. That seems like an oversight. That I learned that a lot in the the Living Christ, the religion class I took, where it's oh, like there's this one Greek? Greek word, and it had like a hundred different definitions because there was no one English word that could pin it down. Because it's like this means brotherhood, friendship, or like, like it was, that happened a a lot. I I do think it's interesting though. It's like, man, why are we creating words like bussin? Like, (laughs) let's get on this oversight of English. It's like, anyway. Sling is so dumb. I saw something the other day 
it said the like this is how slang works. You hear it for the first time, you hate it, you use it ironically. You and use then it you ironically <laughs> all the time. You use it unironically. Oh my gosh, it. that happens so like, much. I was like, to me. wow, that actually, yeah, you nailed it. <laughs> I did that with bussin'. I did that with fetch, and <laughs> I still hate it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to our episode. If you like what you hear and you want to get weekly updates with exclusive content and an inside look on missionary work, join our email list on our website. You can go to lumietmedia.com. That's L-U-M-I-E-T media.com. Just scroll down to the bottom and you'll see a little form where you can put in your name, put in your email. It's free. We don't need anything else from you. We're going to be giving you concise and actionable advice, takeaways from our episodes and lessons and experiences directly from the mission field. And so if that sounds interesting to you, just go to lumietmedia.com and we hope to help you a little bit more every week. Bye. Anyway. So the talk I was looking for is called The Imperfect Harvest from April 2023 by Elder Vern P. Stanfield. And he said a really cool thing about the downfall of basically what happens if you're prideful or arrogant or whatever it may be. So when we compare ourselves to others, this is a direct quote, there can be only two results. Either we will see ourselves as better than others and become judgmental and critical of them, or we will see ourselves as less than others and become anxious, self-critical, and discouraged. So he goes on, comparing ourselves to others is rarely productive, not uplifting, and sometimes downright depressing. In fact, these comparisons can be spiritually destructive, preventing us from reaching the spiritual help we need. So there is no good way. Either you become more depressed at your inability to do something or like whatever it may be, or you're like downright arrogant and you're like, ha, I'm better than that guy. Yeah. Um, and I felt both the ways. Other, the other quote that I... This isn't from Ezra, Ezra Taft-Benson, actually. But anyway, the quote is, comparison is the thief of joy. And wow, oh, that. is that true. <laughs> I think it's in Preach My Gospel. Yeah, I think somewhere. Yeah. But it was given by an old apostle yeah. or prophet. Um. It's it's true. As you compare yourself to others, it's just mm-hmm. it doesn't ever help. <laughs> That's why a lot of people don't like change because it requires them to confront like it depends on the circumstance, but it's like, oh, this situation is not the best it could be. We have to change it in a way that will make it better for us. Like maybe you need a move or maybe you need to stop or start doing something, you know. Um, some apostles said it, this is a church of change. It's yeah. not the doctrine, obviously, because that's been established since forever ago. It is a church of continuing revelation. Mm-hmm. Which is what I really like. change, because, yeah, continue. Because then that's saying, and there's scriptures about this too, it's like, God will never truly be satisfied like if the atonement didn't exist, we wouldn't be able to return because we'd be so bogged down with all this imperfection, all this sin and transgression, and there would be no possible way for us to enter because no unclean thing can enter into the kingdom 
of heaven. And we are incapable of paying the price of our own sins. Mm -hmm. And so, but then he, Uchtdorf talks about, we need to basically a broken heart and contrite spirit. He says it differently, but it goes on to those. What does that really mean, actually? Like, I understand broken heart aspect of it, like a godly sorrow kind of a thing. What is a contrite spirit? I am glad you asked because I looked that up in detail. Oh, this was actually, I had no idea that you've done that. Yes. That's kind of cool. I've done this quite a lot because I've had a lot of people ask me that. Uh, Really? uh Uh-huh. Isn't that kind of cool though, how that works where it's like you have like this insight and then all of a sudden like people just start asking about it and you're like, hey. Yes, there was one dude. Oh, he was the most prepared dude I've ever taught. He's like, hey, I've heard all this and I want to learn and basically get baptized. He doesn't doesn't actually say that, but he's in his mind. He says that without saying it. uh Uh-huh. Tell me you want to get baptized without telling me you want to get baptized. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a, I didn't really experience that, but anyway, there were a lot of prepared people in Mexico, a yeah. ton. Like you know those perfect member stories where you read and preach my gospel and you hear over a general conference. Yeah, that happened quite a lot, and it was actually cool to be there in person experiencing that. So a broken heart. I mean, that's obvious, and it talks about in the scriptures too. It's like not the sorrow where we'll bring you down into the depths of sadness, like depression, basically. Right. But it's a sorrow that's like... leads to repentance. mm -hmm. It's more of a sorrow that's like, oh, I messed up. This is what's happened. And so it's more like a motivational, how do I fix this? And then a contrite spirit. So contrite is kind of a synonym for humility. So it goes back to humility. So Why? So you're trying, you're accepting that you cannot do this yourself and you're being like, okay, I am willing to do anything, whatever the Lord tells me to be able to fix this situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's like, I've accepted that I have this. I understand what is caused. I'm looking at the picture correctly. I'm not making excuses or making any sort of rationale in my head. And then contrite spirit is like, how do I fix this? How do I if in, effectively start the change? Okay, so it's kind of the uh, the phrase where it's like admitting admitting you have a problem and it's halfway to fixing it. Mm-hmm. There's, have you read the 12 steps? Oh, what is it called? 12 steps. To recovery? Yeah, something like that. The Specifically, like, the church created one. Yeah. Uh, I have, but I don't remember it, really. Yeah. Well, I started looking at it because it's actually a, a really cool... It's really cool how they've taken doctrine because a lot of it is from AA. That's where they got the idea from. They even asked for permission to oh, use yeah, these 12 yeah. steps. So AA was actually the first people... Is this like a cut and copy of AA plus like addition of basically, uh huh. Huh. So they had to ask permission and everything, but it's like actually pretty cool. mm -hmm. And so there's one step where it's like make a fearless like evaluation of X problem, like an addiction or like substance use or whatever it may be, and it's basically you're picking apart 
all the tiny habits, the circumstances, everything. So then you have all this information. You're like, okay, so how do I reverse that to start getting better? Right. And so, and again, that goes back to being humble where you're looking at this, noticing and realizing that you need to start the change. And then you're like, cool. So how do I start that? And that's actually something that I got excited a lot in the mission because like learning a second language, first of all, gives you a whole ton of humility because <laughs> like you say something like at the beginning, you don't expect anyone to understand you. And you're like, dang, they didn't look at me weird and I actually made sense. And then you kind of get a build up to, okay, I know to say this, I'm fairly confident that most people can understand me. But then there's still those bumps. It's like, oh, they just looked at me like maybe I didn't say the right word. And so it's like where you maybe get confident or cocky, depending on the situation and your ability, Mm -hmm. then I kind of got knocked down a peg or two because I'm like, oh, crap, they didn't understand me. And so, but then realizing when I got to a point where it's like, oh, I can understand, they can understand me. And then it's like, huh, that was a lot of humility that I learned from that. Because it's like difficult, A, and B, you're like, okay, well, I can't do this myself. It's pretty obvious that it's incapable. That that you're incapable. That you're incapable. Yeah. Because take like an addiction and it's like the you're first able to talk yourself into, yeah, I can do this on my own. Which right. I said that so many times to myself in a, for a variety of different things. I'm like... And God's like, no, no, you can't do this by yourself. Stop trying. I'm like, okay, fine. The gift's right in front of you. Yeah. Just use it. I'm Um, stubborn in a lot of ways. (laughs) And I was like, okay, fine. I learned a lot of humility. Um, Maybe it wasn't alcohol association, but I think AA or... There's another... Alcohol Anonymous is actually what it is, huh? Uh That's what AA is. Yeah. No, Alcoholics Anonymous. Alcoholics Anonymous? Yes. Okay. Someone came to the conclusion that, man, like, this doesn't really, like, stick unless you have faith in it. Like, like mm-hmm. to overcome an addiction, apparently it's, like, a very necessary thing to have some religious belief or some... I can't think of another way to phrase that, but... Like a like you need to have that belief in a god or in a higher power. Yeah, because that's what. Because I mean, AA obviously is not completely religious, but kinda. Like the closest way you could describe it is like a cult, but not really. Yeah, but I yeah I understand. But um, basically, it's taking this. You're realizing that you can't do this. And you're like, okay, there needs to be a higher influence that can help me, whatever their personal beliefs is or whatever they've experienced, right? Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, if you look at AA, like the, the steps in a purely scientific perspective, the, like, scientists did this and they came to the conclusion, like, the kind of the defining point was a belief in quote unquote God. Right. Because like, 
or in this higher power, this higher motivation. Obviously, if we're looking at a, a religious perspective, we're like, duh. But it's this realization that, first of all, addictions aren't. If you ever research like the way addictions work, it's actually really interesting in how like oh yeah hard it is, and how because like brains have habits. Right? Yeah, there's this and one. So, sorry, like because your brain loves doing less work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> naturally, right? Because if you had to think about breathing every time, it would suck. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, yeah, nah. No, it wouldn't um, suck. Aha, <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh, I see. And so your brain, like, you ha- you're going to have way more habits than you probably realize. Mm-hmm. Like, in the shower, you probably do the same thing every time, and, like, you wouldn't know. Are we thinking or about using, the same like, book? a towel or, like, your toothbrush. If you, like, brush your teeth, you're most likely going to do that the same way every time. Um, You'll start in the same spot, end in the same spot. Like, it's really interesting how much of our life is driven by habits. And so an addiction is, like, a very strong habit. Mm -hmm. You have the trigger, and then that leads, like, anyway. It's just actually really interesting. Yeah. I'm getting it. The Power of Habit. A really good book by insert name here because I don't ah. remember. <laughs> but habitually powery. And then you think about well, for creating the image of God, God understood this entire. He knows everything, so he's like, okay, well, I have this plan, I have this way for you to change and fix yourself and to progress. And then man is like, nope, we're going this way. Science. And then eventually, maybe in this life or the next, and they're like, ah, we can't do it by ourselves. Yeah. And so that brings me to kind of a difficult question that we have to ask ourselves. It's like, would you be 100% okay with accepting whatever God told you to do? No. Well, I wouldn't either. Because... And you see it every day if you open your eyes. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, huh. Like, it's like, hmm. I bet Christ would talk to this person <laughs> and be like, hey, you doing okay? Or like whatever it may be that Christ would do in that situation. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't. It's like, hmm. That seems like a relatively simple thing to do for me talking to somebody, right? Where it's like, hmm. Yeah. He would go talk to them. Probably put an arm around them. Well, eventually. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe people are freaked out about that. But <laughs> um and so then to think like, oh, man, if he asked me to do something bigger. Actually, isn't there something like where if we were told to do something uh-huh. Small, it's like less likely that we would do it than something large. Yeah. That's actually interesting. There's a scripture. Do you remember that one part in the my gospel where it's it's in the, I think chapter nine, Christ-like attributes, where and then at the end, it's like that self-evaluation of each attribute. Yeah. There's this one that was really interesting to me where it was like, it was specifically about faith. And it's like, I believe 
if necessary, that I could perform miracles. Like I would have enough faith to be like, yes, you can be healed or some other big miracle that can happen with my amount of faith. It's just like, I mean, that's possible still. God is still a God of miracles. That hasn't changed. And so it's just like... I mean, I'm sure you saw miracles on your mission. Yeah. I did too. And then especially this time, it's like, okay, well, there's obviously a bigger plan here that neither of us could possibly understand. And so it's like, would I be okay, for example, maybe going somewhere else for a mission? Getting the signs somewhere else, you know what I'm... Uh, rather randomly at Trusted World today, I kind of had the realization of, oh, how did I get here? Like, I'm not... I wake up constantly and, and I'm just like, like, why am I here? Yeah. How often do you nap? What? You wake up constantly. Um, Every morning? Okay, fair enough. <laughs> um... That joke did not work. Um, <laughs> well, now it's but, funnier. Go ahead. I don't know. It was kind of funnier in my head. Anyway. Sorry. I forgot. I'm sorry. Oh, I kind of just kind of replayed everything that happened in Utah that kind of led to me going home. And I was like, how? How did this happen? Because it's hard. <laughs> it's so hard. When God's will isn't yours and there's nothing you can do about it. Nope. See, that's another thing is like, I don't know if I would trust myself. Like if I had the choice, hey, you could go to Utah, you could go back to Utah to finish your mission or stay here and finish as a service missionary. Even if God was like, hey, you need to stay as a service missionary. If I had the choice, I'd, don't know if I would trust myself to say, hey, okay, I'll follow what thou wants me to do. Mm-hmm. Which I think that would be even more difficult. Well, because like general authorities typically are prepared for a very long time before they even know they're being prepared, which is also a cool thing. Yeah, it's cool how, okay, I'll let you go and then. But. All right, well, I'll go ahead and speak. How, like, prepared you get without realizing what you're being prepared for. Like, I was told I was going home from Utah and then had 30 minutes to pass, <laughs> as I have said so many times, because that's not something that ever happens. James, like, complained, like, yeah, I didn't have any time to get trunky because they were like, you're going home in three days. And he was like, James? Yeah. He got permission to extend. Oh wait, no, so he, he was told me the story for three months. And then like three days or four days, they were like, Hey, guess what? You're going home. And that's like really rare. He mentioned that in passing when we were talking to him. I'm just like, Wait, yeah. what? Like I didn't have time to understand what that meant. And yeah. then you're just telling so, me now like, I was like, huh. And like that's such a weird thing for people. And then for me to only get thirty minutes. <laughs> but Or for you to be the only missionary ever to pilot a proselyting service hybrid mission. Yeah. It's just like that no one but, will ever experience ever. Most likely. Um, but like flying home on the plane, 
I was able to like look back and realize how prepared I was being to go home. I mean, you told me that flight home just kind of sucked. Well, yeah, of course it did. <laughs> well, I'm just but, saying, I didn't realize like if you were maybe thinking coherently at that point because it just all happened at the same time, and you're just like that's why. Hmm? That's why my counselor was there. He was the one thinking coherently. For me. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was the designated driver here. Yeah. But no, it was like, I, I had no idea, like the things that were happening that were preparing me to go home until it happened. Until it said, hey, you're going home. And I was like, oh, oh, interesting. That was your first reaction? No, this is like. Oh, in retrospect. Just, yeah, in okay. retrospect, like on the plane. You're just sitting there like, interesting. Go on. Yeah. Because, I mean, while most of it sucked, like, there were also some, like, productive thought processes I had right on the plane. <laughs> Even though most of it was just like, no, please, no. I mean, I still saw some of that when you came back. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. I'm just like. It's still now. Like I said, I had a retrospective, like. Right. How did I get here? Like, and kind of a. Kind of a moment of like, dang, like what what could I have changed? Sort of. That's a dangerous question to ask. I didn't necessarily ask it. Just kind of. Oh, well, I know. I guess I was. Well, just in general. It's not like something I do a ton, but just kind of like that. Oh my gosh, how did I get here? And then it's like, man, maybe if I blah or blah or blah, right? Right. It's like, yeah. But then you look at it and you're like, dang, I was prepared to go home. Yeah. When you have that reassurance of like, oh, there's someone here who knows what they're doing and my life will not just happen randomly. Like that's a lot more comforting than like, this is my life, don't know what's going to happen. I'll go whatever, do whatever, (laughs) you know? I mean, that's kind of what I do anyway. Well, I'm talking about people who don't have any sort of belief in any higher power and they're just like, mm, well, this is my life. I'm just gonna Sounds fun. take what hits me. And then you realize it's not fun at all. Nope. Yeah, so it takes humility to change. Um, we need to ask ourselves, is it I, you know, like, don't ever assume that, like, we're talking about something and it's like, man, that would help my neighbor a lot. <laughs> That's not, not the greatest thing to do. We gotta look inward because we all probably do a lot of things that we don't realize. It's a lot harder to realize what we're doing for some reason. But yeah. as you listen to our podcast, um, we can help. Yeah. Basically, what we're, what we're trying to do in this podcast is to guide you towards the principles, give our opinions, and just help you to understand these principles and to see how you could apply them in your own life. Because mm-hmm. it takes humility to change. We need to be asking ourselves how we can change and to become more like our Savior and consequently have better lives. And so, yeah, because yeah. Christ gives us phenomenal lives. Amen, brother. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, make sure to follow our podcast on wherever you listen to your podcast. Hit the, the heart, follow, or whatever button does the follow. I don't really know. I don't use my phone to listen to podcasts. Yes, I do. That's a lie. Anyway, thank you guys. <laughs> 
Thank you guys for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode. That's all from us. Adi Toast. Thank you for listening to us. This is Walk With Him, a podcast about Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to know more about Jesus Christ, we have a website, which is Lumiet Media, L-U-M-I-E-T, media.com. On there, you'll find stuff about us, stuff about our Savior, Jesus Christ. You'll find our socials where you can follow us and support the podcast. You can also sign up for our email list where we give you just some advice, takeaways from our episodes and experiences that we've had from the mission field. You can join that email list on our website, follow our socials, and if you could rate us, that would really help other people discover the podcast and just start their own journey towards our Savior, Jesus Christ. So thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next one. Adios. Adios.